welcome to Cue the Dagger, brought to you in partnership with Inside the Rink. Inside the Rink is your one-stop shop for all NHL news, insight, and analysis. You can find them on Twitter at inside underscore the underscore rink. I'll be your host, Clifton Ramey, and I'm with my co-host, Logan Rosengard. And a quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink, BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for a 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. So how you been doing, Logan? Since you've been here, the Blackhawks have played three games and lost three games. Uh, just another day for a very, very, very hungry for a win Blackhawk fan. But there are a few things that seem that the team is trending in a somewhat right direction. The uh, road performance against the Minnesota Wild in their second game of the home-and-home, home, uh, they looked a lot stronger. Yes, they did blow a bit of a lead and lose in overtime, but... You know, steps in the right direction are still steps in the right direction. If you want to be able to compete for a postseason spot in the Western Conference and in the Central Division, you're going to need to score a lot of goals against the better teams in the division. And the Blackhawks showed that they were able to do that. So it, it's the little victories for me. Well, I mean, anything after that absolute shellacking that they took the night before, I'll take. Um, but there were a bunch of bad things that come out of the weekend. You had the Kevin Lincoln and injury after he performed really well in the second game against Minnesota. You also had the Stillman injury. And then Karen's been dealing with that back thing. Uh, Lincoln ends out two to three weeks, they said. So we got Soderblom called up. Uh, Riley, or Riley Stillman, probably week to week from what I'm hearing. And then Kara's a back issue. And I guess it's pretty much a day-to-day from what I understand. Uh, back spasms or something like that. I think that back issue that uh, Kara has is stemming from when he got received that huge hit from, I'm forgetting the player, but when he got basically knocked out cold, but it's kind of good that he's day-to-day and is still able to skate every now and again. The thing that worries me is that Lankinen injury, right? Not that I think it's a bad thing that Arvid Soderblom is getting the, is going to be getting some NHL looks for in the near future, but I don't know. I feel like Lincoln is a little more stable of a choice, obviously, and you want to go with two guys down the stretch, especially if the Blackhawks are still trying to find a way to get into the playoffs. You want guys that you can rely on, and I don't know if, from my perspective, I can rely on Soderblom to perform the way that Lincoln can and Marc-Andre Fleury can, but we'll see. Uh, as for Riley Stillman, though. To be honest, looking at the schedule here, I don't even know if we're going to see Soderbaum. We don't play a single back-to-back in the next three weeks. Um, the next back-to-back for the Hawks doesn't come until February 17th, which puts it four weeks, which puts it at the long point of his injury. Um, and I can see the Hawks kind of riding with Flurry over the potential one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games or so until the back-to-back. Um, I would expect that Soderbaum at least gets one game just because he's young. Yeah. Um, but hopefully they just ride Flurry and we really don't have to worry about the injury. And it's just essentially like he was just riding the bench. It'd be my hope. Mark Andre Flurry is 37 years of age, though, right? He's I don't I mean, I wouldn't put my starting goaltender through seven or eight games in a row, especially with some of the opponents that they're seeing in those next seven or eight games. Uh, uh he's not I gonna mean, be ours next year. 
I know, but you still have to worry about the present, right? You want to win hockey games. And if you want to win hockey games, you need to have a rested starting goaltender. I'm not saying he has to split the time between Soderblom and Marc-Andre Fleury, but it wouldn't be a bad idea if maybe three of those seven or eight games, if Blankenen stays out for the uh, longest possible time for his injury, maybe three of those games is when Arvid Soderblom starts. And if you need to, if you need to adjust, then you adjust, right? I yeah, mean, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see what Derek King does if he decides to ride the old vet, or if he decides to give Soderblom. Which, I mean, Soderblom looked tough in that one outing, but I don't count that outing he got thrown in there after the goalie. I forget who was in net before him that night. May have been Lincoln in that night. Um, got pulled. So I don't really take too much. I wouldn't mind seeing him just because I've heard a lot from people who are watching him in Rockford and whatnot. The Hawks have said some high stuff, but overall, I'm not really that concerned. Um, it does suck that Lankinen's out because as we've talked about last pod, I'm not a huge Lankinen fan. You like Kevin Lankinen and he actually played super well that second game against Minnesota. Like he played like he played early last season where, yeah, he showed everything that you said last week about how he couldn't be a starting goaltender in this league. So hopefully Hopefully he'll get healthy and come back and prove me wrong and prove you right. I mean, hopefully. I mean, look, if the Blackhawks in the next seven or eight games are able to improve their position, having Lincoln is going to definitely be a huge factor down the stretch, but only time will tell. Yeah, and with the way that these games went, I don't think we really need to get too specific into the game, so we'll kind of just glance over that. Um, we'll kind of talk about some more specific things, and one player specifically that I kind of want to touch on is Dylan Strome and the improvements that he's been making. Over his last five games, he's got a goal and two assists, the games that he's played in because he's missed some with the COVID and such. Um, and the biggest thing which everyone in the world's talking about is this face-off improvement. If you look at his last six games alone, if you go back against Colorado last or not other night it was t1 10 out of 15 for 67 percent against minnesota he won 70 percent against minnesota the previous night it was 56 percent columbus 67 and vegas 67 with strom winning in the dot and you took hagel and you put kane that line actually has an effective ability when they actually get the puck to start for once so what do you think about dylan strom and his improvements that he's making i think it means good things for the blackhawks for a couple of reasons one if he keeps playing the way he does Dylan Strom has been on the trade block and surrounding Chicago Blackhawks trade rumors since around the end of last season and most of this season if he keeps improving and keeps finding ways to make his game more meaningful the Blackhawks have a piece of value that is now more valuable than it was at the start of the season and you're going to get more things back for that kind of value that Dylan Strom brings. If Dylan Strom adapts his game and turns into this bottom six, middle six, kind of 25 to 35 point scorer and is able to win draws and play a good defensive game, there's a lot of contending pieces. There's a lot of contending teams that need that kind of depth and reliability at the dot. Similarly, okay, so- real no, quick, similarly, Strom, if he doesn't get traded, is playing that way for the Blackhawks, and that just means better play from the team outright, which is always good. So my question is, for Dylan Strom, let's say that his play continues as of late, and he continues to win his draws as he is, and his play offensively has been better, um, defensively, and more effort. I think the effort level is the big thing that Derek King 
wanted from him, and that's why he struggled to stay in the lineup. I think now he's giving the effort on a nightly basis. What value is it worth trading Dylan Strom, right? Because he's on the last year of his deal, $3 million, but he's an RFA. So we essentially own him. So, like, he can't just leave without the Hawks getting something in return as long as they qualify, which they would. What is the value that you're looking at to get for Dylan Strom? Or do you just say, screw it and resign him for another year deal and maybe move him again next year, knowing that you're not going to make too much of a change in your team next year because your cap's essentially all locked up? I mean, I think it makes more sense just because our cap's locked up to try and flip him earlier than later, right? So, like, what I'm getting at is, like, if you look at Dylan Strome, do you think you're even going to get a second-round draft pick for him right now? So, like, you're talking a third-round draft pick, or let's say he'll take another $3 million one-year deal. I think both are equally valuable, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Right? I think that's the tough part with me and him is I don't know if he's more effective as a trade chip or as a player for the Hawks, but the fact that he's only 24 years old. So it's just a little tough to see what he's going to do for the future. His age is definitely a factor in all of this. And I bet because of how young he is and because of how much, you know, he still hasn't hit his ceiling by any means. Right. I bet management with the Blackhawks are having this exact same debate. Do we want to lose out on another guy that could turn into a weapon and a top six forward like Tavo Teravine? And not that Dylan Strom is the same kind of player and skill as Tavo Teravine, but history repeats itself. You don't want to lose a guy that can have an equal impact for another team when you could just keep him for cheaper and keep testing him to see if a longer-term contract makes a lot of sense. I don't know. It's moments like these where I'm glad that I'm not the GM because I would not know what to do and I would have a panic attack because of it because this is a it's a tough decision. It's a really tough, you know, team build conversation to have. Yeah, uh, coming into the year, I ultimately wanted him to be traded. Now that he's playing a little bit better, I'm like, ooh, maybe we can keep him and he could be that third line, second line wing if he needs to go up there like injury per se, but mainly third line, second line power play kind of guy. But ultimately, I still think that the best move is probably to move on for him, capitalize if he's able to bring up his value. Um, I just I think he struggles to play without somebody that could drive the play for him. And I just don't think it'd be worth paying him the money that he's going to want. Otherwise, what do you think about this outlandish Alex Dabrinkit talk? Savali went on there and said the only three untouchables for the Hawks are Seth Jones, Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taze. And you have all the beat writers talking about Alex Brinkett. You have Barcelona Chief talking about it. What is your thoughts? Just just quick little thoughts for you before I go off on a rant. I got stats and stuff that I want to pull up here. So I, I'll, I'll say this. I think every player is available for the right price. With that being said, Alex Dabrinkit's price should be about as high as any trade offer can be. And I'm not comparing Alex Dabrinkit to the best player in the league, but you have to treat your young 45-goal potential forward as the best player in the world when someone calls you up and says, hey, how much do I got to pay for him? You're going to tell him top dollar. Because if you accept anything less than top dollar, you'll lose the trade. And that's all I really need to say on that. 
I'm not saying. Oh, here's my point with this: is you have a elite goal scorer, right? And everyone's like, "Oh, in two years, he's gonna want big money. He's gonna want nine million dollars, ten million dollars. You're gonna already have Seth Jones on the books." Well, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze's contracts come off the books. Whether or not they re-sign or not, Taze isn't getting anywhere near ten million dollars. Nowhere near. Patrick Kane, if he's still playing at this level next year, he'll come in around that area. But he's not going to come in at $10 million, I don't think. And Jonathan Taze, if he's playing at this level, he's going to get like $5 million, if that. And that's an overpayment. So you're looking at the Hawks are going to have plenty of money, and they're just going to let this 20-year – or what is he, 24, right? 24 Hawks to bring it is – yeah, 24 years old, right? And so you're going to let a 24-year-old walk. And if you look at the last two seasons, Austin Matthews, 66 goals. Leon Dreisaitl. 59 goals. Alex Debrinkit, 56 goals. Alexander Ovechkin, questionably the best goal scorer of all time, 53 goals. Connor McDavid, the greatest player on the planet, 52 goals. Miko Rantan, 52 goals. All right, and then everyone's going to go, what about his one offseason? Okay, cool. Go back to when he's joined in the league. And I just got five random names. Alex Ovechkin has 201 goals. Austin Matthews, 184. Dreisaitl, 177. McDavid, 168. Stamkos, 138. Alex Dabrinkit comes in at 143 goals, more than Steven Stamkos. That's counting his rookie season, and that's counting his sophomore year where he took a dip, and I think he had 18 goals on the year. It is absolutely outlandish if anyone in Chicago thinks that moving on from Alex Dabrinkit is the right move. He's 24. What are you going to get? Let's say you get a haul. You get two first-round picks. You get lucky in the lottery. They turn out to be third overall picks, both of them. Okay, let's say you get Dylan Strom and Kirby Dock again. Do you want those two players right now, or do you want Alex to bring it? I want the guaranteed lock and Alex to bring it any day of the week instead of just getting a hopeful first-round pick and going, I hope he turns into an Alex to bring it. It just makes zero sense. Right, but why not? And this is solely for the uh, you know notion that the price is right, any player's available. With some of the upcoming draft talent that we speculate are going to be in the top five this upcoming draft, the 2023 draft and the 2024 draft, there are some guys that you kind of know are going to be equal to Alex Debrinkin. And I know not every player is the same, and I know developing players and prospects is a very, very hard thing to do. But if you can get two lottery picks an immediate player that is the exact same age and play style or whatever you know style of ice you know play that he brings to the ice as Alex to and you get some draft capital too I'm not saying no right away I I'm not saying no right away if I get a call from uh the Edmonton Oilers or the Detroit Red Wings or so, okay. Well, Detroit's you know. an interesting name because they're a somewhat bad team and you potentially get a higher pick, but any name that you're going to name Edmonton, they're going to be 18 and higher if they make the playoffs. So they're trading for an Alex to bring it. You got to think that'll push them over. 
or a Detroit who's up in the playoffs. Like you're you're just you're getting that late lottery pick if you're lucky and the team misses, but more than likely a team trading for Alex Dabrinkit is going for a playoff run. Like you're gonna get those late round picks. And when you go look at late round picks, how often do they really pan out? Like I just named two third overall picks, Dylan Strome and Kirby Doc. And if you ask half of Chicago, they hate Kirby Doc right now. I love Kirby Doc. I think he's gonna be fantastic, but he's just a good example to use at the moment. Um, and it's just, why are we thinking that we're going to get lucky on one of the drafts? It's if we even get two first round picks for him, like that's an obscene hole. Who's giving that up? Like a team giving that much up is clearly a team that's a lock for the playoffs. And one of those are going to be in the late twenties. Like to me, you already have the young 24 year old. Okay, cool. Sign him to another deal. Or if you have to, then you move him on from him. Like, I don't get why we think we have to move on for him now just for draft capital. That's not guaranteed to hit. We have like four players on our roster that were drafted in Chicago. I don't know. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm a firm believer in the, the if the price is right, any players available. And as much as I love Alex Dabrinkit, if I get a call and I hear that, I don't know. Like I can't really think of a player that's like Alex Dabrinkit, which kind of plays more into your point. But if I get a call <laughs> from a GM and they list everything that I'd want, and then some, like I said, I'm not going to say no right away. The only way to me that it even makes sense to even consider is if you're getting, like, a guaranteed lock prospect back and then draft capital. Almost like, I'm going to go back to, like, if if you remember, like, where Tivu Teravainen was, like, as far as his progression when the Hawks traded away how he's shown that he had the top six potential. He'd done it in the NHL, even did it in the finals if you want to get specific. But he had that like, okay, yeah, he's for sure going to be a top six forward on the low end. And if he doesn't pan out, he's not that top line forward who ends up. If you can get a prospect like that and a first and some other stuff, then okay, I get considering it. But if you're just getting two first-round picks from a team that's more than likely going to be in the playoffs – you're downgrading. You're downgrading in hope that you hit it on one of those two picks late in the draft and then build. And to me, why go for hope when you have the guaranteed locked 24-year-old stud goal scorer? I mean, I can't really like argue when you put it like that. But that's I, just, that's just me. Oh, no, like I get it. Like you're not wrong. I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you you're wrong because it's that's a mindset about this that I can get behind but at the end of the day I think Blackhawks fans in five years when we're in the playoffs are going to remember the pieces we get back in a blockbuster trade more so than the piece we gave up because those are the guys that we traded for to be successful five years from now which if you ask any rational hockey fan you want your future to be that bright. I don't know if the Blackhawks' future is as bright as I've said it's been, as people are saying it's going to be, and I trust in the in the development system. But I would feel a lot happier if I were some fans to know that if I'm trading a guy that's a first-round talent that we picked up in the second round who's a 45-goal scorer, that not only we got a 45 goal scorer back, but we got a Norris Trophy contending defenseman and a Selkie level winger 
and other draft capital to compete for the Stanley Cup for years, years down the line. That's just me. I get where you're coming from, and it's it's that view that like a lot of the beat writers had and stuff like that when they wrote their articles and stuff on it. And it's the view that you hit, and you hit on every draft. And if you just – I don't have the stat off me, but I guarantee you, you're going to look at the numbers out of first-round draft picks, and I would bet, what, 60% maybe turn into an everyday NHLer? Like maybe 60% play 500 games? You know what I mean? Like it can't be that high of a percentage. Just go through the previous Hawks history of first rounders and just look at how many of them fail. Like the the percentage of hitting on the draft just isn't as high as the guaranteed lock Alex to bring it. <laughs> or but but then again, I mean, I don't know, because it, it all kind of does depend on the future. And really, it all depends on, in my opinion, Patrick Kane. Because if Patrick Kane's gonna play and he's gonna stay in Chicago, then you're better off keeping Alex to bring it and trying to do like a real rebuild, but like almost like Anaheim, where if, they still have Ryan Getzlaff and yeah. If and, if the Blackhawks want to keep Patrick Kane and see him being between Kane and Taze, if they're keeping him and not Taze, they should keep DeBrinket. But if they see Kane walking at the end of his contract, then why not also just try and grab something in return when you can so that when Kane and Taze leave, you're not without uh, you're not without guys that can replace them in some capacity. It's definitely a question for next year because you can't move yes. into the deal right now. Um, but I honestly think that it's up to them from everything that you're reading from the beat writers, from Frank Savali's comment of the untouchables. I really do think that the organization is essentially saying, hey, Jonathan Taze, hey, Patrick Kane, if you guys want to finish your career here, you can finish your career here. We'll keep you. Or if you want to leave, you can leave. I don't think that's a question until next year. But again, see, it's just tough because, again, if let's say we trade Marc-Andre Fleury, right, and we get a first-round draft pick, is it really worth trying to get another one for Alex to bring it? Like, the whole – everyone wants to recoup the first from the Seth Jones trade. Like, I get it. We don't have a first. We're not looking great this year. The future doesn't have the biggest prospect pool. I get it. But at some point, you can't panic. We've seen what happens in Chicago when you panic. And what happens when you panic is you trade Nicholas Jalmerson, you trade Artemi Panarin, and then this is what happens for the next five, six years. Like, just because this season hasn't gone as well as it has doesn't mean we panic and we blow up the young player. Like, I get moving on from Calvin Hahn, Dominic Kubli, Marc-Andre Fleury, Ryan Carpenter, any type of player like that, I totally get. But a 24-year-old, it doesn't make sense. Dylan Strom only makes sense because of his struggles to stay in the lineup. Like, if he didn't struggle to stay in the lineup, it wouldn't make sense for the Hawks to move on from another young player. Like, they're only 24. I mean, you make good points. That's plain and simple. But time will tell. At the end, I don't think the Blackhawks are going to trade to Brinkett. Like, realistically, it just doesn't. I know I've I've been on the side of you you know sounding like I'd be okay with trading to Brinkett. That doesn't mean it makes sense for them to trade him. I don't think they will, but I don't think it's as unrealistic as people are saying. I think there's a lot more realism and a lot more possibility for it than some other moves the Blackhawks might make. I don't know. 
I'm not a GM. I don't have any sort of knowledge that really backs that up. But like I said, if you get a knockout offer, you don't say no. You consider it. You think about it. And that's that's all I'll say. I'll end with that. Yep. Definitely. If there's smoke, there's got to be some fire there, at least. Somebody in that in the organization had to at least bring it up for it to be brought up to Frank Savali. Um, but on that note, who would you like to see move? Just a quick little fun topic just before we end the show here. If you, you had two names that you want to see moved at the deadline, who would it be? Uh, man, I don't know. I think Vinton Trocek might be an interesting piece out of Carolina. I don't necessarily know if it, if he's the most, uh, you know, trade baited guy. I don't know where he necessarily stands with Carolina, but he's a player that comes to mind for me. That makes sense for Carolina can lose him and get pieces back. And they're not losing a big part of the lineup. Uh, similarly, I think, Hmm. I think Colorado moves Devontae's. They don't necessarily need him. He's a great piece. You can find another top four defenseman with his skill and and in return gets get a little bit of draft capital back, get a second rounder from some team that's on the bubble, right? Because Devontae Yes, hit that too. But I don't know. I think Devontae's I think Vincent Trocek, those are kind of my two names. I don't know the the buzz around them yet, but I think those are two guys to me that make sense to possibly be traded out of their teams. Um, For me, for the Hawks, uh, the, the obvious one that everyone's talked about, I would like to see Dominic Kubelik moved. I don't think he produces enough for himself for what he's going to want to get paid because he's a goal scorer and goal scorers get paid. Um, so I'd like to see him get moved and try to get like a second in a prospect that uh, older, more closer to NHL ready prospect, not like a super young 18 year old or anything, more like a, probably like a 22 year old or something like that. Someone who's about ready to jump in the lineup. And then the name that I want to get moved would be Calvin DeHaan. Calvin DeHaan is in the last year of his deal for the Hawks. And I think he could get a decent return for a team that's looking to bolster their D going into the playoffs. There's a lot of any team that like going into the playoffs could use it. Edmonton, um, I'm not really, without looking at the money, obviously, I don't know that off my head. Edmonton could use one. You could see a team like an LA or Anaheim try to add a little veteran depth for a run. Calgary could look at it. You can go over to the East where Toronto is always looking for help on D. A team like Boston, who's been struggling a little bit, could be interesting. A team like Washington, who's got an older core looking to make one last push with it. Any team like that could kind of bring in some value. And I just, I don't see the Hawks bringing Calvin DeHaan back. So I don't see reason to keep him on the team through the deadline and then letting him walk for nothing. And plus you've had kids like Riley Stillman really perform this year and stand out. Jacob Galvis, um, and there, Nicholas Budan down there, who I wouldn't mind seeing get a real look, even though he hasn't at all. Isaiah Phillips, like there's plenty of defensemen that can come into the lineup and play. And I just think it's probably time to move on from Calvin Allen. Like, I just don't think we're going to resign him. He's too old. Might as well get something for him. But that's just me. No, I mean, I I was a big Calvin DeHaan supporter when we acquired him. Uh, oh, I love him. I think he's a very reliable guy. I think he's a top four defender on any team in the NHL currently. 
I think he's top 10 in shot blocks. That sounds right. I mean, he puts his body on the line. He's a, he's a reliable guy. You don't find a whole lot of guys that are as reliable as him. I think, yeah, I think DeHaan could be a piece that the Hawks move on from. Kubalik, maybe not so much. We kind of touched on it last show. Uh, you know, he's a guy that he's another guy similar to Dylan Stromer. In this case, I'm going to compare him to Teva Teravainen. That's a piece you don't want to let go. He's a 30 goal scorer. He goes and he has one of the best, you know, careers ever, or not one of the best careers ever, but you get what I'm saying. He ends up being a shot, you know, a defenseman's nightmare because of how wicked a shot and is a goalie's nightmare because of how good a shot is and how good he's, go- he's got at scoring goals. That's another trade you're going to look back and be like, well, chalk that up as another Blackhawks dud. But I don't know. I like I like the idea of trading Calvin DeHaan. I think it makes the most sense without any weird kind of moves and, oh, we need X, Y, Z in order to make it work because he's a pretty basic defender. You find a lot of those guys around the league. Yeah. All right, we'll go ahead and close the show up here, man. Um, hopefully we can go into the Detroit, Colorado, Vancouver, Minnesota, a little four-game stretch here and do better than the last four-game stretch. Um, I do expect the Hawks to beat Detroit on Wednesday. I know Detroit's been playing well. The Hawks do, in my opinion. Um, and then Colorado's tough and Vancouver's, well, we just got to see what the Hawks do the first two games. Who knows with this team? They're always so up and down. Um, but yeah, that's going to be all for me, man. Any last words from you? I got nothing from me. All right. Well, thank everyone for listening to Do the Dagger.